0: Oh, Father, this morning, would you grant us a glimpse of that transcendent beauty coming from the face of our Lord Jesus? Would you allow our hearts to be filled with faith and hope, to even have the sense deep within that he is worth waiting for, and to wait in faithful expectation that he is coming again. Come, Lord Jesus, we pray in your name. Amen. Well, it wasn't long ago, Precious and I were out on our ten year anniversary trip, which I told you a little about already. And we knew it was a special occasion. So when we got to the Grand Canyon, we made a point of asking someone, what is one site you just have to see? Uh, one of the park rangers told us that the thing you need to see is the canyon lit up by a sunset from one this one particular spot out by hermit's rest so we hopped in the bus a couple hours early because we were told there were going to be crowds and we went out and staked out our spot right at the rim you can dangle your legs right over no guardrail or anything and we waited and waited and waited two hours for that light to start fading, and for the canyon to light up in these brilliant hues of red and pink and gold. And just like we had been told, it was every bit worth the wait. Transcendent beauty like that, it takes your breath away. And you come away saying, yeah, that was worth the effort to be able to see that. Our our passage this morning has some uh, witnesses to A transcendent beauty, not of the the sun setting, but of the very light of God dawning upon humanity and the coming of the Savior Jesus. Uh, His coming will mean rescue and revelation, redemption, and yes, even rejection. He is the very salvation of God come in human flesh. And God has seen fit to make sure that there are witnesses to his coming. Witnesses that have been waiting and are here to tell us he was worth the wait. Uh, This morning as we look through this passage, with story, we will see three points that follow three different sets of people that are witness to his coming. Uh, The first in verses 22 through 24, we see parents present Jesus in poverty. Parents present Jesus in poverty. Second, at 25 through 35, we see Simeon sees salvation and sings. Simeon sees salvation and sings. And then in 36 through the end of the passage, 40, we see Anna praises God and proclaims redemption. Anna uh, praises God and proclaims redemption. Uh, In all of this, we see that Jesus was worth waiting for then, And the good news is he is worth waiting for today. Jesus was worth waiting for then, and he is still worth waiting for today. Let's begin with that first section, 22 through 24. Parents present Jesus in poverty. Uh, if you have been following along with us in Luke's gospel, there, uh, d- d- the passage immediately before us, we ended with Jesus being circumcised and named just as the angel said he would be on the eighth day. That's the second time that's happened in Luke's gospel. The circumcision followed with a naming. Uh, the one before is with John the Baptist. And in fact, Luke has been running these two miracle births in tandem. He's been going back and forth between Jesus and John, Jesus and John. Well, now that pattern is about to be broken. Because while the last we heard was John being circumcised and named, with Jesus, we get a whole lot more detail of what happens to him as a child. Uh, we follow Mary and Joseph uh, about 33 days after that naming, on the 40th day after his birth, traveled to Jerusalem with baby Jesus in tow. Uh, The reason why is because they were people that cared much about what God wanted. They were faithful Israelites, and faithful Israelites did something after a son was born. On the 40th day, the mother had to be brought to the temple in order for her to be ritually purified. Uh, Luke tells us a little bit about that. You can find it in Leviticus 12. uh, It would be good for you to study this afternoon on your own. The requirement was for her to bring a sacrifice, uh, a lamb and a pigeon. Unless, of course, you were on the discount plan. There there was a dollar store version of the dedication to be done, uh, and that was to instead offer two pigeons if you couldn't afford the lamb. Uh, Luke tells us that that's the version of the purification ceremony that was being done. They offered two pigeons because, frankly, they were people of humble means. Now, sandwiched in there is another ceremony. This was the ceremony of presenting the firstborn to the Lord. Uh, This takes us back to Exodus. Uh, You remember when the Lord did that? Last and most terrible of the plagues upon Pharaoh in Egypt. He struck the firstborn of all that, uh, of every house except those that had the blood of the lamb on the doorpost. Well, coming off of that, God wanted his people to remember that he saved their firstborn and therefore the firstborn belonged to him. So, written into the law, your firstborn son had to be brought to the temple, and since God owned him, you had to buy him back or redeem him for five shekels. Now, back in, uh, at the day then when Mary and Joseph were doing this, those two uh, rites had been brought together. So what, what we see here is, frankly, a family that cares a lot about fulfilling the commandments of God, but doesn't have a lot to go around. They're a pious but poor set of parents, bringing Jesus to the temple to present him just as the law requires. Now it's worth pausing at this moment because we live in a day when there are many preachers that try to present the gospel as if faithfulness leads to fruitfulness financially. As if if you are faithful to God, God wants nothing more than to bless you with lots and lots of money. Uh, usually, it usually goes by the name of the prosperity gospel. Uh, It teaches that if you are just faithful enough or offer big enough sacrifices that there is a spiritual law that God is bound to, he must give you material riches in this world. But friend, the prosperity gospel is at odds with both this passage and all of the Bible and the true gospel. Uh, I mean, think about it. Mary and Joseph, they were poor, but think about Jesus. I mean, the, the very prince of heaven, mo- the richest person that's ever lived in that sense, and yet he never accrued for himself great wealth. He, he said at one point that foxes have holes, birds have nests, but the Son of Man doesn't even have a place to lay his head. Uh, the gospel is not about becoming rich in this world, it's about being rich towards God through Jesus. Mary and Joseph give us a wonderful example that you can be dirt poor, and yet you can be Completely faithful. You see, what God wants from us is good stewardship and a heart that's devoted to him. Now Luke is going to return to this theme of stewardship again and again. It's one of the most prominent themes in this gospel in contrast to the others. How much he talks about money. Uh, And it's something that Christians need to think very carefully about. Uh, If God gives us material resources, uh, money, he expects us to use it for his kingdom and to use it in a way that shows that we value Christ more than anything else. That's a a big point of discipleship, which is why I'm so glad coming up in January, we're going to have a core class called Simple Money, taught by uh, Brian Landis, to help us on this very topic. Um, Whether you're someone that has really not thought much about how the Lord would have you use your money, or, or if you're someone who Maybe knows has a sense that you're not using your money the way the Lord would have you use it, or or maybe you're someone who's thought a lot about it and you just want to be encouraged. Uh, this core class would be really helpful for you. It's going to start on January the 12th on Wednesdays. And it'll be available online. I'd love for you to come in person and benefit from the teaching of Scripture on how you can be a good steward of your material wealth. Well, that first scene just is really just the setting for the story of. Mary and Joseph coming, presenting Jesus in their poverty. But it transitions to a set of two witnesses. And that brings us to the second scene, starting in verse 24, uh, 25 through 35. That's Simeon sees salvation and sings. Uh, Now remember, up until now, Jesus' birth has been witnessed by some people. But they've been the sort of people you would not expect for the great king that God has promised. Uh, that he has been witnessed by average Joe, hardworking everyday man shepherds. By random people in Bethlehem that were the crowds that heard what the shepherds said. Uh, he's been witnessed by a teenager who no one would have thought much of in Mary. And to her soon-to-be husband, Joseph. Uh, Up until now, the witnesses to Jesus' birth have been low on the social ladder of expectations for who would be witness to such a momentous event. But that's all about to change. Because God is going to round out his set of witnesses so that it can be said that this has been done in the presence of all peoples. And that's why we have two witnesses that God gives that are at the top end of the social religious ladder. Simeon and Anna. Anna. Both people that were commonly seen in the inner courts of the temple. Both people that would have been thought much of. People that were righteous and devout. People that had a a vibrant relationship with the Lord. The the sort of people that you would expect to notice the coming of the Christ. Now we're told about Simeon that he was a man filled with faith and hope. Uh, He's described as righteous and devout that's describing his reputation in the community He, he was someone who in word and deed loved the Lord and had actions to match in his life in addition to that we're told that he was waiting for the consolation of Israel now living in that day if you were a faithful Israelite it would be hard not to be cynical you had watched your people suffer for so so long Uh, The promises of God had seemed like they'd gone stale because of how long they'd been sitting on the shelf. And yet Simeon is an example of someone that had a hopeful expectation in his heart. God has said that one day he is going to rescue his people. That redemption is coming. That one day he will come and dwell with us. and, And every single day, Simeon hoped, today might be that day. Uh, How is it that he avoided cynicism and instead had that hopeful expectation? Well, we're told that he had a vibrant life with God through the Holy Spirit. Uh, Three times we're told that the Holy Spirit had a role in Simeon's life. It was upon him. And then we're even told that the Holy Spirit spoke directly to Simeon. His message to Simeon was simple. You won't die until you see the Christ. Uh, What an incredible promise that that he would live long enough that with his own mortal eyes, he would see the true beauty of beauties, the king of heaven come and dwell in human flesh. We we don't know how long Simeon was waiting, but I think the way the story is told, we're meant to think it was a long time. Day after day, waiting, hoping, praying. Maybe today is going to be the day. Maybe this one is going to be the one as someone enters the temple. Well, then finally that day comes. Verse 27, and he came in the spirit into the temple. The Holy Spirit gave him a little nudge and told him to go inside. And when he did, somehow or the other, he knew that is the one. He he walks up to Mary and Joseph and maybe his palms were sweating. Maybe his throat was a little tight with nerves. Or maybe he had a sense of transcendent peace that his whole life had led up to this one moment to gaze into the eyes of this child, the promised one. Uh, He takes the baby up in his arms. We're not told what Mary and Joseph thought of that, but he takes him up in his arms. And in that moment, his heart is so filled with joy that he can't help but sing. Has that been the the pattern in Luke's gospel? Someone has this moment of great joy, and then they break forth into song. Uh, This song has been called the nunc dimittis. Uh, That's the Latin for the first phrase, which means depart in peace. It's a song of a man whose soul has been satisfied and who's ready to leave this world because his work here, frankly, is done. Uh, The first line captures it well. He says, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. It's a unique blessing to have clarity of what the very purpose of your life is. And to know the moment when that life's purpose is accomplished. Allow someone to die with a great deal of peace. Uh, I thought of the life of William Wilberforce at this point. A uh, great abolitionist. Worked his whole life to try and stop the slave trade in the British Empire. He largely failed. Politically, he was outmaneuvered again and again. So I have to wonder if maybe he had more than a little despair as he ended up on, on a sickbed that would turn out to be his deathbed. But God was so kind to him. He let him live long enough for a friend to bring him the good news even though he was completely removed from the process, that a law had been passed and that slavery was outlawed in the British Empire within the next year. When you know that your purpose is completed, you can die in peace. A short time later, William Wilberforce went to be with his Lord. Simeon had that sort of special experience, a special gift from God. To know why he was here, and when his time was up. Well, the song goes on to explain why he knew that moment was happening. What was it he saw in Jesus that gave him this sense of peace? Uh, two things. He saw that the rescue had arrived. For my eyes have seen your salvation. Uh, Jesus was the rescue that they had been waiting for. Not a, uh, coming in a form of an army to knock out the Romans, but in a little child uh, in a person that would grow to be a preacher and one day to give his life as a sacrifice how much of that we Simeon understood we don't know but he he certainly knew that in this child he had seen the very salvation of God the second thing he saw was revelation the second two line last two lines there uh, for my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. Simeon understood that the promise that God would bless the whole world through the Abraham's offspring, was coming to pass through Jesus. Now, this is the first time in Luke's gospel where it's become explicit, something that will come up again and again, and basically the entire book of Acts will tease out that salvation has come not just for the Jewish people, but for Gentiles also. That God is doing something that no one could have foreseen. He is bringing together into one body, the church, Jews and Gentiles, to worship God through Jesus Christ. Simeon looked into the eyes of Jesus, and he saw a rescue, and he saw revelation, and his heart was at peace, and he was ready to depart. Now, brothers and sisters, you won't have the opportunity to hold baby Jesus in your hands and look into his eyes. But you will have the joy one day of looking Jesus in the face. And in that way you are much like Simeon. You're someone who has been, maybe will have a long, long wait that one day will be shown to be totally worth it when you gaze into the face of your savior. Uh, First John three tells us that what we are has not yet appeared, but one day we will see him and when we do, we will be like him. Isn't that a promise that can let your heart hang on through some difficult times? Maybe another Christmas having to deal with COVID that has you feeling down a bit. Maybe difficulties at home or with your job or, or just a sense of being tired. Doesn't the fact that one day you'll leave all that difficulty behind and, and you'll look, look directly into the face of Jesus. your joy will be complete. Doesn't that encourage your heart to keep going? I think that's what we're supposed to draw from Simeon's faithful waiting and, and joyful experience as he sees Jesus and his longing is completed. There's one last piece to Simeon's story though. He has a prophecy for Mary. That's what we see in 33 through 35. Mary and Joseph were told in 33 are they're on their heels by what's happened. What? Well, that's a lot to take in. What, what just happened? And then Simeon speaks directly to Mary. He tells her, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Simeon has a prophecy for Mary that's Frankly, a little bit foreboding. It says not only will this child bring rescue, this child will be rejected. There's going to be a great sorting that will happen, a, a division in running right down the middle of humanity. People will either be for Jesus or against him. And as that sorting happens and as the opposition against Jesus grows, Mary will have her own soul torn into two. She'll watch her son be rejected, and one day she'll watch her son be killed. Mary will bear witness to the rise of many, but to the fall of the one who she loves so much. And in this moment, she will know that this prophecy was true. That the word God had given to her of both joy and sorrow had come to pass. Now, and in this, we know the very nature of the gospel of jesus that will be preached now for thousands of years that jesus is both the rescue from god and the one rejected by so many in the world now if you're here this morning and you're not a christian i wonder if you've thought about what does the message about jesus reveal about your heart uh maybe you've heard the message about jesus over and over again a lot of people grow up in families that have lots of Christians in them, or maybe you're just familiar with it from Christmas time. Uh, the message that God has sent a, a rescuer, a savior, to come save us from our sins, and that his name is Jesus. But when you hear that message, how does your heart respond? Does it respond by gladly uh, receiving this news and repenting of your sins and putting your trust in him, or, or do you find yourself scoffing? Do you find yourself trying to think about something else? Do you find yourself trying desperately to find some way to think that this message isn't something you need to think about all that deeply? Uh, According to the Bible, the way you respond to Jesus tells us the most important thing about you. Uh, Whether your heart is for God and has been redeemed by Jesus, or whether your heart's for yourself, and for the things of this world. A uh, friend, this Christmas, I-, I want you to receive the greatest of all gifts, Jesus Himself. But that's only possible if you will receive the words that the Bible says about Him that you're a sinner, that you need a Savior, and that Jesus is that Savior if you'll repent of your sins and trust in Him. Well, the witness of Simeon shows us a wonderful example of how our patience even through long periods of waiting, will one day result in great joy and even glory. But there's one le- witness left for us this morning, and that is Anna. Anna, who shows us uh, a pattern of proclaiming, uh, praising God and proclaiming the redemption of Christ. Now, we're not told a whole lot about Anna, and in fact, Luke doesn't even record one of her words. But what we do know about her shows us yet another picture of someone who is known for their faithfulness, known for their endurance, and known for their hopefulness. Uh, Anna, we're told, is uh, a prophetess, so she also has a special relationship with God through the Holy Spirit. Uh, We're told that she's been a widow for a very long time. Uh, The Greek at this point is a little difficult to translate, so different translations will handle this differently. It's probably right to say that she was a widow for about 60 plus years. That's a long time to be living without a spouse in this world. But she has made good use of that freedom from a spouse that the Lord has given her through that uh, widowhood. She has devoted herself to service of God in the temple through prayer and fasting and worship. Any time that the temple was open, you would see Anna there everyone would have known who she was. She was a a woman who had dedicated the rest of her life to the Lord. Once again, we see that God is gathering for himself all kinds of people to bear witness to the coming of Jesus. Uh, People on the bottom end of the social religious ladder and now people at the top end of it. And somehow or the other, I have to think probably the spirit points it out like with Simeon, she realizes the magnitude of the moment. Uh, She knows that, The Christ has come and she praises God for it. And then we're told she speaks to all who are waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. She knows that there is this longing in the heart of so many of God's people. And she stands up and proclaims, the moment is here. The rescuer, the the redeemer has come. And she spreads her joy around. What a great example of how to spend a life well. Even one filled with lots of waiting and suffering. How to use it to glorify God and to be a servant to the very end. I think there's a word here for how we think about our service to God as Christians. Now, If you're here this morning and you're a uh, student on the earlier end of life, I think you can learn a lot from Anna's example of how wonderful and precious a thing it is To spend a life doing the ordinary things that someone does in a faithful life to God. I mean, the things that Anna does are things that anyone can do. She worships, she prays, she fasts, and she tells people about Jesus. Now, there's a lot of different careers you might chase after. Maybe you'll have a spouse, maybe you won't. But if you spend your life doing those ordinary things of faithfulness to God... It will be a life well spent. Make up your mind now while you're young. Use the time you have in service to God. And one day you won't be disappointed. You'll meet Jesus and you'll hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. I think there's also a word to those on the opposite end of the spectrum of life, those near the end of life. God's not done with you until you're out of breath. As long as you have days on this earth, there is still service to the Lord left for you to do. Now that will definitely look different as you age. Your options definitely start narrowing as your body starts failing. And yet the ministry that the Lord gets you, whatever that may look like, is highly valuable and precious in his sight. To pray, to fast, to tell anyone who the Lord has around you that Jesus is the one that they've been waiting for. That's a life worth living, as long as you may have it. I, I hope all of us are resolved that as long as the Lord would give us and whatever our life may look like right now, that we would serve the Lord in this same way. That we, we would see our role to worship and to pray, to fast, and to tell people about Jesus. Until the day when our master calls us home, And on that day, we can expect with hope-filled hearts to hear, well done, good and faithful servant, come and enter to your master's rest. Isn't that something worth holding on for? Uh, This passage shows us wonderful pictures of faithful people testifying to the reality that Jesus is worth waiting for. Brothers and sisters, he was worth waiting for back then, and he is still worth waiting for today. Even on a Christmas in the second year of a pandemic, even with whatever particular trial you may be dealing with, even with the uncertainty of what next year will bring, Jesus is worth waiting for. So let your heart hope and keep your eyes fixed on him. Until the day you see him face to face. I was reminded of a song that I used to hear a lot on my commutes. Uh, you know, songs are, are good on that point. They get, they get stuck in your head, right? Uh, listen to good songs. You want good songs playing over and over in your head. Uh, this was one by Jeremy Camp called There Will, uh, there will Be a Day. He said, there will be a day with no more tears, no more pain, No more fears. There will be a day when the burdens of this place will be no more. And you'll see Jesus face to face. But until that day, hold on to him always. Brothers and sisters, he is worth the wait. Now, before we have the benediction to close the service, I want us to spend a few moments letting this all sink into our hearts. I'm going to pause for a little less than a minute. I want you to think about what God has said to you. How you, as you walk by the Spirit, are to respond in faith and hope and service. Use this time to have a conversation with your Lord, and then let's hear his word before we depart. Spend a few moments, and then I'll close us in prayer.